Hello, 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 Fort Worth. What's up? What is up, guys? It's good to see you. Welcome to another episode of the Fort Worth Freedom Review. We are a show about local politics that aims to get more people engaged in local issues. My name is Anthony Sosa, and here today, unfortunately, Thomas is not with me. We're still having some connection issues, uh, so it's just me today. I'm going to try and make it short and sweet for you guys. Um, as always, all of the resources that we use will be provided below in the show notes, and this podcast is made possible by the Justice Reform League, a Fort Worth-based nonprofit. You can sign up for our Substack at our website, justicereformleague.net where we will occasionally post op-ed type articles. We've got some from Amber coming up really soon. I'm excited about posting those. So if you'd like to hear some of uh, Amber's perspective, she hasn't been on the podcast in a while, but she's still involved. And, and so we're, I'd like to get some of that stuff out soon. Uh, if you'd like to submit something to our Substack or have any episode ideas or additional stories you would like us to cover or have any information provided on any candidates for us, that would be fantastic. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at FWReview or on Instagram at Fort Worth Freedom Review and at our Gmail at fwfreedomreview at gmail.com. <clears throat> you don't have to excuse me and forgive me uh, for my voice today. Uh, I played a show last night with my top 40 cover band, Sweet Meat, and we had a blast playing a 40th birthday party out in Dallas, but um, my voice is pretty shot and I slept in today. So forgive me for my uh, my lethargy and and my my voice, but so since Thomas isn't with us, uh, I was kind of wanting to kind of do a certain specific thing with this episode. But since it's just me, um, it, it's going to have to be less conversational. But I wanted to spend a lot of time talking about uh, Amber and I's trip to Chicago. So Amber and I over this past weekend, uh, last weekend. Um, went to Chicago for the Socialism 2022 conference. Uh, and it was really cool and interesting and fun. Um, it was put on, I guess, organized by Haymarket Books, a radical book publication. And the DSA, and this is how Amber heard about it. I missed the meeting where this was brought up, but Amber heard about it and brought it up. It was like, hey, I want us to go to this conference. And I was like, okay, cool. And I kind of, I wasn't thinking it about it really that, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I may be spaced or something because Amber goes to a lot of criminal justice conferences, like at least once, maybe twice a year, she goes somewhere for a criminal justice conference. Sometimes she speaks at them. Sometimes she doesn't, but I've never actually had the benefit of going with her to one of those. And so for whatever reason, in my mind, I was thinking this was a criminal justice conference, but she had bought the tickets and everything. You arrange the flight. But then once, you know, we get a few weeks out from the trip, I realized, oh, this is a, this is like a socialism thing. This has nothing to do with like school or anything. This is just going to be, you know, it's totally different. So I, you know, I, it, I was excited for, to, to do this and kind of be in a place with a bunch of other people, as we know here in Texas, if we're listening to this, I don't know if you identify as a socialist, but maybe a leftist. But for me, you know, there's not a lot of us around, uh, you know, there's some, but to have like, I don't know, a place nationally where everyone's kind of co coalescing, that seemed like a cool, a cool opportunity and idea. So I'm glad that we got to go do that. Um, so this, you know, I was kind of wanting to, I guess, describe, talk about a little bit of some of the, the talks that we saw there, uh, kind of the, the points that I kind of came away, away with. I was able to get audio from some of this. Uh, I got, I, thankfully, because of this podcast, we got a press pass. Um, so I was able to capture audio. I wasn't able to get any interviews or anything, um, but 
I, I will, I'm actually going to separate episode. I want to play one of the entire talks because it was so good. It was so real. Uh, and I'll kind of get to that here, I guess, towards the end of my little spiel about all this, but we, we get there on Friday and I guess like there's, I'll, I'll post the link to the program in the show notes. If you're like interested in like what they were talking about, there was like the whole thing was like four days. We didn't stay the whole time. Um, and, and they talked about all sorts of different things and there was all, it was cool because, uh, of it was just like the amount of representation that was there. Um, there, it was just all sorts of, of, you know, historically marginalized groups of people kind of all in one place. There was like disabled people there. There was people of color. There was particularly a lot of women there. Um, there was, uh, um, uh, you know, queer folk trans people everyone just all all types and everyone was wearing masks it was like a heavily mass uh, mandated required thing and so and everyone was super respectful of that and it was just you know it was just cool like i don't know everyone there i was just like this is cool now i didn't agree with everything i heard right and some of the talks were better than others some of them weren't that great um but it you know just to kind of see that sort of group kind of be in the same place like everyone's kind of got the same marching in the same direction i think we could say right maybe y'all probably heard me say that before so there's a couple of the talks that i wanted to focus on uh specifically the first one that uh i so it was like it i want to i wish i could have amber on she's so she's so busy with school right now that she can't share but she had a different experience than i did because she went to different talks than i did she went to things focused on more on like a criminal justice abolition prison abolition border abolition that type of stuff uh and i and i was more kind of focused on the geopolitical a little bit of border abolition stuff but like the more the geopolitical the big picture stuff and also like um electoral stuff here in, in our country, like the, the political side of it, kind of like what we cover on this podcast, right? Like I had questions about that. And there was definitely like a divide between people who were organizing in San Francisco and Los Angeles and New York and in Chicago um, versus people in the South. And that was like, uh, there was a separate talk that I went to. That was the best one that I went to was the one about organizing the South. And that's the one that by Ashley Woodard Henderson, I'm going to put that up as its own like separate bonus episode. And I encourage, I'm going to encourage everybody to listen to it because it just, it was real. So, okay, I'll, 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 I'll go through all this. So the first one I went to is the crisis in American politics. Uh, this is with, uh, Dr. Sanju Gupta and Paul Heideman, who is in the New York DSA and he's also a history teacher. So I was like, Hey, history teacher, high school history teacher. Cool. And they kind of like talk about liberal democracy and like quote unquote, and like essentially what they mean by that is like the version of democracy that we say that we have, uh, you can define, you could kind of boil this down to you know, a capitalist democracy, a democracy of the minority, not of the majority. Um, those are two different sort of frameworks. Uh, they kind of threw out the term like bourgeoisie democracy, like same sort of thing, essentially like not power to the people, but more power to, to more people, but not everybody still having like a, you know, a ruling class essentially kind of doing their sort of thing. And like, kind of using this framework and saying that like even the democratic party now at, at this stage uh isn't upholding that like they are even undercutting things uh kind of in regards to to these quote-unquote liberal democratic ideals 
Uh, and, and there was contention about in the Q and a session, every, every talk was like 45 minutes and they would do like 45 minutes of Q and a, and like this talk and the next one that I'm going to talk about, there was like a lot of contention in the Q and A's and a lot of people like disagreeing with what the speakers were saying, which is what was re really interesting. Like, I don't know, I've been to a lot of talks and Q and A's and like very, very rarely does someone like challenge, uh, the speaker or like, you know, if they do, they're usually pretty respectful about it. Some of these people, uh, necessarily weren't. But uh, anyways, they kind of continue to go on and say that like both parties are structurally weak, uh, the Democrats and the Republicans. They kind of offer the example of the Republican Party and saying, you know, obviously the Trump stuff aside, right, like all the all of the stuff coming out about him, uh, you know, and the leaked documents and stolen nuclear documents, Mar-a-Lago, the FBI raid, like blah, 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 like all that stuff aside. Uh, if you just kind of look at the money and the finances and where's the backing going, who who with all the money it are, are you know is putting how do i word this <laughs> here goes my brain i'm sorry guys you know the donors the people the billionaires everyone who funds the republican party and some of these people fund both parties right uh where are they putting their money and it's kind of like split into two different camps you have like the chamber of commerce types uh essentially funding the establishment Republicans establishment, meaning like your Mitch McConnell's, right. Uh, the people that have kind of been, been here for decades, uh, not the MAGA people. Right. And then you have like these other corporations and other businesses, uh, that are kind of coming around and supporting Trump. And I like, especially like with Trump's like new golf, uh, league, I guess you can call it. Like, I don't know. He's doing this whole golf thing now where he's trying to get more money and more people behind him and people are, are doing that. So it's like, you know, who's going to be able to win out in that? That's a fracturing of the party. So that's a, that's bad for the Republicans. You don't want your party to be fractured. That's good for the left, quote unquote. And we keep referring to this amorphous, the left, which is like one of the, could be an issue, you know, potentially just kind of using this blanket term. Uh, not to say that the, you know, the Democratic Party is not fractured, like we certainly are. But, uh, you know, it, it kind of makes our, helps our argument and helps those of us who are to, to the left of the Democratic Party like take advantage of this and you can like look at what Bernie Sanders has done. Like he hasn't won, but he has mobilized and inspired like a lot of people, a lot of organizing, like since his run in 2016, like the left is starting to change a lot to starting to gain power. Uh, and again, I'm using this kind of amorphous term. Um, and then like another thing that they said, I thought was a good point was like the recent Biden successes, you know, cause he like didn't do, in my opinion, like didn't do shit for a while. Hold on a second, because I said the word shit, I have to write down what time I said it so I can go back and go edit it again because I want this to still fall under a family podcast designation. And if I have profanity, I can't do that. And it doesn't show up on search engines as well. So I just edit that stuff out. And there we go. I wrote down the timestamp, 1040. All right, cool. Um, and then that we should like take credit, that leftists should take credit for the fact that Biden like quote unquote, caved on student loan, right? Like, you know, people were wanting more. People were wanting entire forgiveness or like 50 grand. And like he settled with 10 grand. But even that, that's like a big deal to a lot of people, to a big percentage of the people who have loans. Like this is a big percentage of them. Uh, 10 grand is a lot towards that. So, you know, it's it's help. It's, it's, a, it's a step in the right direction. Yes, it's not perfect, but we should take, you know, call a win. When you see a win, call it when you see it. You know, like, hey, take, take it. And, and appreciate it. And so like, that's something that like, he wouldn't have even have done that if it wasn't for, you know, pushing from Bernie and pushing from your Ilhan Omar's or your Cory Bushes. Uh, and you know, the people to the left of the party, you know, the progressives in the party. And so they, you know, they talk about that. And so 
Um, what was interesting to me is, you know, in this talk, but in also in other talks, there was a contention from people in the audience about like the point of getting involved in electoral politics at all. Um, essentially, and these are your revolutionary, these are like your far, far left, your, your communists, or you're like your revolutionary socialists. Uh, people sometimes use the term Marxist Leninists. Uh, sometimes people use the term you know, Stalinists or Maoists or tankies is like the online terminology. Now everyone calls them tankies, essentially like authoritarian leftists. And like I, these people were there too. Uh, and they were there and they represented themselves in like different ways. And so like at this talk, it was essentially um, people being mad at these two dudes. A, it was a bunch of women, which I thought was interesting. It was like two two dudes got up there and talked for 45 minutes and then kind of women came and offered perspectives that weren't necessarily, you know, approached by the men, which was interesting. But then they were also just kind of saying like, fuck liberal democracy, <laughs> which was like, okay, um, what what are we talking about here? And, you know, I, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing. I'm just like, kind of like, what are the speakers going to say to, up to this, right? Like, how, you know, okay, liberal democracy isn't enough, right? And so these people are like, you shouldn't even be talking about liberal democracy. You shouldn't even be talking about like government or like getting politicians to do things because that's working within the system. And these people, these revolutionaries want to overthrow the system, right? Um, which is like, I, st I think, depending on what system we're talking about, right, that, sh that should be the end goal, right? So, like, I agree with this perspective to a certain extent, but I don't agree with the fact that, like, it's futile or irrelevant or something to work within the system as it is. That seems to me just like a bad strategic move. Like, if your end goal is, is a new system, um, you can't just sit on your ass in the current system. Like that's not, that's not going to do anything. And so like, I just have, I, I feel like obviously, cause I have a show like about talking about getting people to vote. Right. I want you guys to go vote here. The, I think the next episode, like I really need to get on it and get you guys that candidate information so we can get it ready for early voting. So like, that's on my to-do list. I'm going to try and get that out to you guys. ASAP shout out to David Soden for, for talking to me when I saw you at, uh, at your play this weekend. Uh, and, and letting me know that you actually used that candidate information so that, 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 that heartens me and, and I'm going to, I'm going to put, put another one together for us for November. But like, obviously because I'm doing that, I think, you know, it's worthy <laughs> to be working within the system, even though, yes, we should change it too. Like the, the two things can be true at the same time. There are multiple truths. They aren't mutually exclusive, but like that was, it was interesting. And like, some people in the, it was like for, at this talk, it was really like the audience was kind of in support of the Q and a people. Um, you know, there was a lot of cheering. I was in a different talk here. I'm going to discuss in a minute where there was a lot of jeering, uh, to the people, the same people actually, um, it was just, I guess a different room or a different topic, but like the same organization, uh, they were out in California. What was their name? Speak out socialist in California. Shout out to them. Like respect for, for, for doing what y'all are doing. Uh, you know, again, you don't have to agree with everybody. There's a lot of this divisiveness. And we talk about this on the podcast a lot on the left, you know, quote unquote, the left, right. Uh, of like infighting and just like, oh, you're not doing it exactly this right way. And I really think it's important to just like respect people's differences, especially if we're going to be a coalition about everybody, right? Like if it's going to be this all inclusive co coalition, we have to like appreciate and respect each other's differences. So it's okay. Like if people disagree, that's fine. Great. I still, still support you. I still love you. Uh, I still stand in solidarity with you. Right. So like, I don't know. Okay. So I want what well, now now I'm getting into my crazy notes. Like I had bullet points and now I'm gonna dive into the notebook because of the QA. So um 
revolutionary. I'm just going to kind of read from my notes. I just hand wrote some of this, you know, as all this is going on. I say the revolutionaries are coming out um, not happy about the defense of, quote, liberal democracy. Okay, and so there's this, this uh, at some point during the speakers, kind of they're, they're talking, they, they throw out, they talk about fascism. And they say, look, like we, we, we call the right fascists, we call Trump fascists, like, yeah, but like, let's be real, like, fascism isn't here, right? Like, if fascism was actually here in America, it would be, be the end of liberal democracy. Like, that's literally the goal of it, is like to crush liberal democracy. It is a totally new form of government. It is an auto autocratic or authoritarian government. Uh, there is no opposition party, so we still have a two-party system, so like by default can't be real fascism because it's not a single party thing. Uh, and, and, you know, the, he used the quote is the physical extermination of the less. This is not yet on the table in the U S though. Obviously, like we talked about this on the podcast a couple of episodes ago, I think three episodes ago. Uh, I think it's important to analyze these things, you know, see them and look at them before they actually happen. Right. Like otherwise what's the point? Um, but yeah, I agree. We're not there yet. Uh, and so he kind of said, like, if that is the case, then we need to be getting the hell out of here <laughs> and like fleeing to Canada. He kind of said this flippantly, but one of the talkers was like pissed that he said that and was like, look, like if fascism actually does come here, like do not go to Canada. Like we need to stand and defend our country. You know, it was like a very, I 100% disagree with you and I'm armed and I'm going to defend my country, which, you know, respect that too. But again, they're not mutually exclusive. And the guy's response to that was like, yeah, but you can go to Canada and you can regroup and you can kind of come back organized with a plan. You know, like you don't have to. <laughs> and so there's, there's just, you know, this semantic kind of infighting. Like, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of interesting. Um, one point that was made after the, uh, after the kind of the Q&A was that January 6th, this is something I think that it's important for all of us to keep in mind when we talk about the Democratic Party. And again, like I... Before I go any more on and on, because I'm, I'm going to, about the Democratic Party, um, I just want to say, because I'm going to kind of make this a new thing that I talk about more and more, I'm actually going to talk on, on a different episode kind of more in, in depth about this, about how the party is, you know, amorphous when we're talking on a national scale, but on the local scale, on the small scale, every part, every local party is like different and takes their own shape based on the membership and the leadership. Uh, and so like, really I'm discovering the Tarrant County democratic party is pretty left and the director of it is a member of the DSA, which is awesome. And I'm starting to work with the local democratic party. I'm going to go into more detail about that later. Um, but that's kind of another thing too. Like if we can, if there's not a lot of activity in it, you know, and the people that are in it have been in it for 20 or 30 years. Uh, and so there's a lot of openings. There's a lot of opportunities for things like precinct chairs and house district coordinators. So that's something like if if you're wanting to get involved and like actually swing things further left here in Texas or here in Tarrant County, like it's actually pretty easy to do that. So I just, you know, I'm going to talk about Democrats, quote unquote, and I'm really going to be talking about, you know, of course, like the Democrats in Washington, D.C. and like the, the National Party. But uh, January 6th, that event binded the Democrats and the security apparatus together, like more like Biden and the Biden administration used January 6th as an excuse to like have more surveillance on Americans. Essentially, you can look at exactly what the Republicans did with 9-11 and the Patriot Act like that, you know, where we essentially lost all of our privacy and still have not regained it here 20 years later. 
uh, it, there's that's again we're we're having that on another level now because of the January sixth thing, but this time it's the Democrats doing it. So I, I thought that was a really good point that we needn't forget. Um, and then like kind of how I was saying earlier, one of the guys said, you know, it's hard for humans to say two things at the same time and saying that liberal democracy is worth upholding against fascism because of the two, we want liberal democracy, right? Even though that's not real democracy, quote unquote, it's not good enough. Uh, doesn't mean that it should be the end all be all or, or, or stay around. It's a matter of what is possible. Uh, and so he's and then they defined one of the guys clarifies he's like okay people are mad that we're talking about liberal democracy like let me say because i guess i didn't state this clearly enough he's like let me say that liberal democracy is not democratic but is inherently undemocratic because the workers are not actively represented in the democracy workers as a people so therefore in a liberal democracy that's not enough for everybody because the workers are everybody so the point, the goal of socialism or of the work or whatever is to improve the material conditions of the working class, period, full stop. So the working class, everybody, everybody who's a worker, everybody who has a job, we all need to be on a level playing field and, and be taken care of. Healthcare, education, housing, you know, everything, living, shelter, you know, food, water, access, just love and caring your government exists to serve us and so you know fucking serve us and so like and if we view it through like through you know the people as the workers and we say is this happening no no workers still live in an authoritarian system we say we have democracy but when you go into the workplace you got to do whatever your boss tells you or you get fired like that's a you don't get to vote on anything and like and if you have a union which here in texas you know our unions are are not great um, you know, you, you, you get to negotiate, but even then that's not you in a, in a, in a, in a real democracy, you know, a socialism is democracy, by the way, if we, if we don't, if we haven't picked up on that, like if it's representing everybody, it's, it's, it's equaling the playing field for everybody. Uh, if you have that, you don't need unions because everybody has a vote or has ownership in the place that they work for. So, I mean, like democracy in the workplace is like either owning the place that you work at have essentially making it a co-op uh or you know everybody having a vote or a say in like the decisions of the company um and and equally sharing in the profits of that company um or you know the government making it so right uh and then we can talk about the social safety net and stuff too but that's kind of like really a separate thing but like the, that's that. So he kind of is like conceding, I guess, to the to the question or whatever. Like, yes, I agree. Liberal democracy is not enough. But again, if we're talking about where we're sliding to right now, how things are kind of in crisis, um, we have to defend <laughs> liberal democracy and have to uphold it. But not everybody agreed. Like some people were like, no, burn it down. Like, let it let it go. And, that's, and so I just want to say like on this is and then I'll move on to the next one here uh, on the topic of revolution, because I've heard more and more people kind of like bring this up like you are opening a Pandora's box when you do that. Not that I even think we're in a place in America. We're not, we're not, we're not, at a, that's not going to happen here. Not today, not this year, you know, maybe at some point, who knows? It's certainly possible historically. Right. But like, I, I don't, I, I don't see it happening, but if it does, uh, then that's really bad because, uh, when that happens, you have, there's no control over what happens next. Essentially you're opening chaos to into the fold and so like anybody who watches game of thrones or any of those types of shit like chaos is a ladder uh and people can use chaos to reorient themselves to have power but like you never know who's going to come out on top 
it's it's just kind of a crapshoot at that point. And if if you are not organized, if your cause is not well organized and the people are not well organized, when that happens, it is very unlikely that you are going to make it through to the other side of the revolution, right? Sometimes these things can last, you know, years or decades. And so, you know, you can look around the world and there's plenty of examples around the world where different revolutions have taken place. And it's like, okay, like even the 1917 revolution for, for the, for Russia and the USSR, that, that really didn't even finish until 1926. And so like, once everything's said and done, like who comes out on top could be, you know, not at all how you anticipated. And it all is kind of like, how, how, how prepared are the people, right? And here in America, we are not prepared like at all. So if like, if anything were like to happen uh, revolutionary wise, it's very likely we would just fall further into fascism. I think like that could even, you know, you know, so, okay. All right. Uh, I, I, there was this really, really, I'm gonna have to keep going. Cause I'm, 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 um, gonna play again, play audio of these things. And I want to kind of get to the, so some other stuff, but there was a really, really good talk by, uh, this author, Justin Akers Chacon, uh, called The Border Crossed Us. And he just has a book that he just released called The Border Crossed Us. That was really, really awesome. I got a couple of his other books as well. And it's essentially about, you know, it's a little bit of like uh, Mexican labor history and essentially U.S. imperialism and how the U.S. has essentially hollowed out Mexico and uses it as a puppet state for cheap labor. Um, but Again, I, I, that's like that's a whole other topic that I could go into and spend a whole other episode talking about, right? And so it's like I'm just gonna try and I highly I'm gonna link him in the description. Highly recommend go checking his stuff out, and I am gonna play the audio from this as well, and I'll do a little preface before that. I have about 45 minutes of him doing this talk. Um, but another talk that I went to, um was, and this is the other contentious one, was one that was called Crisis Wars Revolts at the Edge of a New Global Slump. And the speakers there were this guy, David McNally of the University of Houston. Oh yeah, and this one was sponsored by Spectre Journal, which is a, a leftist journal, I think I think quarterly um, publication. Uh, so he was there. Uh, Shireen Akram Bashar was a speaker. Ah, man, I'm stretching my knee out. I'm just realizing how much it hurts. Okay. And uh, it was it was insightful. It was really interesting. And it was kind of unfortunate because the Q&A session, like people didn't even ask questions about what the talk was about, you know, uh, which is unfortunate because I think they, they talked about really interesting things and made good points in regards to geopolitics, in regards to like revolts and how the past, you know, 20 years, there have been like more revolts around the world than like in the past hundred and that we might not think about it like that, but if and she, they kind of start going down the list and they, they talk about the Arab Spring for a little bit. Uh, they dropped this really good quote uh, from this guy, Raymond Williams, that I thought was awesome that says, to be truly radical is to make hope possible rather than despair convincing. To be truly radical is to make hope possible rather than despair convincing. And so they were like, look, I know there's a lot of crazy crap happening. And a lot of times on the left, we like to talk about doom and gloom sort of. Uh, and so they're like, we want, we want to like try and give you guys some hope, but we are going to talk about some of the crazy stuff and we'll end with some hope. It's kind of the, the funny thing, but they just talk about, you know, contradictions in capitalism and the capitalist system and that tied to imperialism and how, uh, you know, capitalism's always in crisis. There's always wars. 
Uh, there's always public health crisis, environmental crises, uh, so social and economic crises, and how those are inherent in the system because of the boom and bust cycle. And every time there's a bust, like the people on the bottom are affected, and that's the most people, the workers. And they introduced this term polycrisis, which people are talking about. And the speaker was like, I actually don't like this term um, because uh, it separates the crises, essentially saying like calling it a polycrisis makes it sound like, oh, we have this environmental crisis over here. And oh, we have this uh, economic crisis over here. and Oh, we have this war and we have this public health stuff. And these are all separate crises happening at the same time. And he's like, nah, bro, like it's capitalism. Like this is, it's all the same thing. It's all stemming from the same thing. Capitalism slash imperialism. There it's this you know, one and the same, right? Why is, why imperialism? Oh, because we need to spread our markets and we need free markets and we need to sell everything to everybody all the time. And like the only way to do that is to let all of let us into your country country and let us have access to your people, whether that's through a trade deal or whether that's through like coming in with the military, right? Uh, and once we get in there, uh, and we that's more money coming to us because we're now have access to you and your markets and we want to have access to everybody. And so if we can't sell you stuff or if you nationalize your stuff, for instance, like if you say, hey, this oil that we have, like Venezuela does, uh, this belongs to the people and whatever money and profits the oil we make, that goes to the people to pay for stuff in the government. That takes it out of the free market because it's not in it. Now it's out of the market. It's in the government's hands. And so whenever people do that, we're like, no, can't do that. So this is like the IMF and the World Bank. Like this is like literally why they exist. They give money to countries that need it who are in poverty. Like again, back to like what I'm always saying, just give people fucking money, just give them money. Um, no, we, we essentially make people promise not to uh, nationalize their, you know, parts of their economy. And essentially, if you agree to privatize X, Y, and Z and open this up to businesses, then we'll give you, you know, $7 billion or whatever, and you can pay it back over the next 20 years. Uh, and so we just kind of bully other countries into letting us, you know, run their system. And so, yeah, it's all, it's all the same thing. So, you know, and they kind of said the world economy has long COVID and really actually since 2008, 2008, to the, the, the 2008 to 2010 crisis, uh, we really haven't recovered. And I, I think we just all, those of us who remember 2008, like, I think we just got numb to, you know, the new, new, right. The new normal. Uh, and so like, yeah, when they said that, I was like, man, you're right. Like we did like things just, you know, we're kind of waiting and like around, I remember around 2013, 2014, like the economy's coming back, like things are doing good. But then once the 2016 Trump stuff happened, like things got so crazy, and we talk about how, quote unquote, the economy is doing great. Oh, the Trump's economy is doing. But again, like whenever we say, quote, the economy, like which part of the economy we're we talking about? Are we talking about the stock market? Are we talking about, you know, uh, unemployment? Are we talking about wages, right? Are we talking about uh, housing and, and evictions? That's economics, too. Uh, that's the economy, too. Um, but no, that's not usually what we're talking about. And if we're, if we're looking at those metrics, right? If we're looking at all the metrics, like, no, we haven't recovered. Things have actually gotten worse. Um, so, you know, uh, they just talk about the Ukraine war kind of very briefly. And this is uh, what, what I guess everybody wants to jump in on. And this is kind of what, what we come in. So the, the, the speakers kind of come, in, come out, you know, kind of casually and off, offhand, like not even in their main points, like in support of Ukraine. It was just like assumed like, yeah, we support Ukraine, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but that's what people wanted to talk. The whole Q&A was essentially people uh, trying to either defend Russia, which I was like, are you kidding me? And they were getting boos and groans from the crowd. 
But there was like multiple people. And some of them were that same organization out in Cal- like San Francisco that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and some of them were like these, you know, these people who have probably, I guess, been socialists their whole lives. They're in their 60s or 70s. Um, and they are kind of coming out and trying to somehow like make the argument that Russia is not imperial or like not an empire. And I guess, I, I don't know. I don't really understand this perspective or how you can delude yourself into this perspective, but these people, I guess, are still upholding like the Soviet Union as like the desired outcome of communism or socialism, which like if you if you studied that stuff, which like the Cold War is what I studied when I got my history degree, like that's the era that I understand the most about like. That was that's not real communism, bro. <laughs> like that's that's just Stalin when he got to you know run with the all that shit was Lenin and and the and the revolution. Like Stalin didn't plan any of that. Again, like power, right? Talking about like chaos and, and, and a revolution and all that stuff. Like Stalin just comes out on top at the end of things and just starts running things the way that he wants to for his own benefit. Uh, like every other dictator and authoritarian leader. And so like, was it a country of the workers or of the people? Like it very quickly not beca- became not that. And then like, you know, of course, as most people know, and this is what Unizu America talks about, it's like millions and millions of people died under his regime and starved. And he had people purged and killed by the thousands and tens of thousands. Like, yeah, it was bad, bro. Like that's not, that's not the good example. That's not what you want to be representing. But uh, the, some people were actually coming up saying that, but it was funny to see and hear, like, uh, I'll have to, I should have pulled the audio. I'm going to leave a note because so I can get, because, uh, oh man, did I, I might have not recorded this one. I, uh, there was an issue with my press pass and I didn't initially ask for one. So I got it a day late and like, I recorded that first talk. But I think because I didn't have my past, I, I, I didn't want to get hassled. And so I didn't, I don't think I recorded that one actually. But yeah, it was like, people were mad. So that, but then it was like another, after people booed and that person sat down and they, they spoke over their three minutes and they're like, all right, sit down, please. Uh, another person would come up and just say the same, the same stuff. <laughs> it's like, and then I was, ah, oh, come on. It's like, come on. And then finally, like some guy comes out and speaks, you know, on behalf of Ukraine or whatever. And everyone's like, yeah. And then like the speakers come back and make like a really good point and kind of like show everybody and is like, look, the Ukraine Russia thing is not going to be solved by backing one of them or the other one. Like both of them are imperial powers duking it out. The United States and NATO is using Ukraine as a proxy. Proxy wars are a thing. They're still a thing. Using Ukraine to back their own issues and benefits. And there's all sorts of stuff you can find out there about essentially, you know, we've had people have been trying to get peace taken care of. Ukraine and, and Russia have already had a couple of, hey, let's do this. Let's, let's go ahead and agree to peace. And Ukraine's willing to make some concessions. And like NATO and the United States is like, no, like don't like keep fighting because this, you know, war profiteering, there is a profit motive to keep this war going. And so you know, p- p- saying one is great or saying the other is great. Like you're, they're both, is both wrong. <laughs> you're, you're, it's, it's bad for everybody for, for them to be doing their thing. And so it's like, and again, this kind of goes back to this, the theme earlier, like there are multiple things that can be true at the same time. Like one can be bad and the other one can be bad. Uh, it's not this like mutually exclusive sort of binary way that we look at the world that we, that we do sometimes, right? Like, and all humans do this. 
so I don't, so yeah, I don't know. That's another one. They, and then they just kind of they keep going on. They list all the other strikes and riots that have been going on in places like Peru. Here in April, there was a general strike and there were riots. That was you know it was successful. You know uh, activism on the left uh, in Ecuador in June. Uh, there was a two-week long strike, and they were able to get uh, concessions, and they were able to get get what they were asking for. Uh, in Tunisia in June, this is all this year. Uh, there was a general strike uh, that took place, and then in Sri Lanka uh, last July, July 2021, their president was overthrown. Um, and so, and then we had another. I think, what was it? There was another country that just recently had their president overthrown. I'm forgetting. I've been blanking on which one it was, but just like here, two or three weeks ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, again, this is like about revolts, right. And kind of like issues and like, yeah, Ukraine's one of those things or like instability around the world, but like, that's, uh, okay. So like, what does that have to do with the left? And like, how can the left organize, uh, you know, during times of crisis, that was one of the questions. And they were essentially like, when is not a time of crisis? Like if you're, if you were an activism, if you're an activist, you know, or a, a party, a communist party member or a socialist in the twenties. Like it was a time of crisis. If you were that in the '40s or the '50s, it was a time of crisis. If you were that in the '70s or '80s, it was a time of crisis. If you were that in the '90s, you know, it's, there wasn't that many in the '90s, but they're they're still around. It was you if you were paying attention. If we know, if we look back historically now, there was a lot of crazy stuff going on in the '90s. Uh, and then, of course, you know, post 9/11, yeah, you know, it's a time of crisis, and things are really bad now. But like, when has there not been a time of crisis? So you organize, you do what you got to do. You, you, you know, the same, the, 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 gra the grassroots quote unquote, like talking to people. Yes. The internet's great. Yes. The internet's good for connection, but like you got to see people face to face to really get stuff done. Uh, and like really, you know, and that's why this conference was so cool. Right. Because like, it was a bunch, it was probably, I mean, I don't, I've not, I'll be honest, like not been to many conferences, like, uh, just, you know, I don't know. I, I, that's not my, you know, I only recently became a teacher like a few years ago. Uh, and so like, I haven't been in the academic sphere, like doing speaking at conferences and stuff like, like Amber has, but to me, this didn't seem like it was like, you know, largely attended. I mean, there was a lot, it was maybe a thousand people there, maybe two, I don't know. Uh, it was nice seeing the same people over and over again for a few days. It was like, Hey, yeah, you were in that talk too. I mean, we're in the same talk again or whatever, uh, made some friends, made some connections, had some interesting conversations between the talks, right. Over, you know, food and, and drinks and that sort of thing. Um, and so that, that, you know, it's the collaboration, the community sort of thing that I think is important, like whether or not you agree with ev what everybody says, right? Like, again, everyone's going to have their take and like good on you for saying it. And I, you know, I will fight for your right to say it again, free speech, blah, 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 all that stuff. Right. But it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you, there's still of this, you know, camaraderie sort of thing, uh, comrade. Right. Um, so okay, uh, now I'm just kind of rambling. Let me let me get to. <laughs> okay, I just wrote a ton of notes uh, on that section, and I'm just like I'm 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 getting lost in my rabbit hole. I'm gonna read what I said about the Q and A. I don't think I wrote very much after that. Uh, the Leninist Trotskyists are coming out. The crowd groans, wanting a vanguard party. That's right. They were calling for a single unified party. And they're like, we don't need, we don't need to be having all these different small organizations like everywhere doing all these different things. We needed like one unified thing. And then they started like shitting on Bernie Sanders, which was like, what? Like, and they're like, Bernie's not even a real socialist and blah, blah, blah. And he's making us look bad and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, he, I mean, he never said he was a real socialist. Uh, he even, you know, and I've said this many times, like he even used the term wrong. Like he's, 
he's a social democrat, but he calls himself a democratic socialist. He's actually, and maybe, you know, maybe he is a democratic socialist, but he, the policy, the policies he supports and, and advocates for are social democrat policies, meaning within the capitalist system, not a socialist system. Um, and then, so I was just like, who are these people? Like, you don't like Bernie, you're calling him a fake socialist. You want everybody to be singly unified, but obviously like, that's not possible. Like, do you understand anything about humans? If you understand anything about history, like that's not going to work. Uh, you don't want one party. That's, that's the no bueno. Uh, and then they were like called for the, the unification of Ukraine and Russian workers. Uh, which like, yes, that it's, that's kind of, I, that would be nice if the people of Ukraine and of Russia could like be unified and maybe stop their governments from doing what they're doing. But like, that's going to be hard to do during war. Um, so I don't know, seemed to be just kind of like people saying stuff, but again, the crowd was just like, Wah. uh, there was one really good question actually that someone asked and they were, it was about religion and its role in the crises. Uh, cause all these different crises around the world are happening in different parts for different reasons, but like, Hey, what role does religion play in these things? Cause we're talking about different religions and different peoples in different places. And she says, how, uh, how do people or how people can dilute and diffuse their ideas on empires, excuse me, and, and it's value, the value of the empire. And I don't remember them actually responding to that question because it was kind of, these were sometimes poorly moderated. And they would let like 15 people ask questions and then the speakers would get like the last 10 minutes or whatever to respond to all of them. Uh, that didn't work out so well, as you can imagine. Um, but I'll start wrapping it up, man. I'm already 41 minutes into this thing. I'm sorry, guys. I'm just, I didn't mean to do this to you. I wanted it to be short and sweet. I'll, I'll wrap it up because I wanted to talk about some local stuff too. And I, I also don't want this to be super long. Um, the last one I want to talk about, and this is the episode that I'm going to release as a bonus episode that I mentioned earlier, The Organizing the South with Ashley Woodard Henderson. It was like kind of a breath of fresh air because after a, the first day and like then the first thing of the second day, kind of being these conferences that I have mentioned, these, these talk, talks rather that I had mentioned, um, you know, some of them are walking. There was another one that I went to. I didn't even write anything down. I actually ended up believing in it because it was kind of boring. Um, there's like a ton of people in it too. I was like, wow, everyone came to this one and this one like sucks. Um, I don't remember what it was about. It was just a bunch of stuff that like we'd all kind of heard before. There was, didn't seem to be really any substance to it. So I just left. Um, she like, it was, it was in a small, it was the smallest room of, of the talks that I had been in so far. It was organizing the South. It, the room probably held like maybe 70 people or something. And it was, it was full. Um, and she is just this cool person, right? Like she's just this cool, she's just got a good energy and a good vibe. And she essentially just made everything else up to that point beforehand, like seem fake or performative. Uh, she didn't get up on the podium and talk. She stayed on the side. They had the microphones on the side, like to each side of the podium, there'd be like two microphones for like the moderators or for the other speakers and stuff. But used, but up until that point, every time when someone would talk, they would walk up to the big podium and talk on the big mic. And she's like, I'm not going to do that. Um, and so a few people on this side of the room, if you can't see me because the podium's in the way, like everybody scoot over. And so there was, I guess it wasn't totally full because there was enough room for everybody because that's where I was sitting uh, to on like the right side of the room to kind of scoot over because she was sitting to the left of the podium. And so we all kind of scoot over and scrunch in a little bit. 
And she's just like, it's beautiful to see all of you guys. You know, it's good. Uh, I'm, she's like, I just, you know, I'm not really uh, an expert on things. I'm not going to tell you, you know, that I'm the smartest person, that I know what we need to do about anything. I'm not trying to be the smartest person in the room. So it's like, so if you came here to debate bro me and like come up and ask me questions and say that I got this or that wrong, she's like, you're probably right. Like, I don't know. I'm not an expert on these things. But I also am not a lecturer. And I don't really like the power dynamics of, you know, lecturing anyways. And I was like, man, that's a really good point when you're just sitting there talking to a room full of people, you know, at them, right? Just talking at them. There is an inherent sort of power dynamic sort of thing. And that's something that we try to be conscious of and like, you know, steer clear of when possible, right? Uh, you, want, you want the playing field to be a little more equal or a lot more equal. So, so she didn't even do that, which is in itself, like, regardless of words, like in a nonverbal way, communicated a lot. I was like, damn. Uh, it's, and then it was just, you know, the vibe of the room was just really good. It was a lot more intimate. Everyone was tuned in. And then she was just real. She just like had like a few ideas that she had typed out on her phone. And was like, I'm just going to talk about these things. I don't really have a point or like a thing that I'm getting at. These are just things that I'm thinking about and I'm curious about. And I just want to like think about them out loud with you guys and see what y'all think of them. And, you know, and she mentioned, and I didn't know some, what some of this stuff was. She was like, okay, who, who here is from the Highlander school or familiar with the Highlander school? And like, I don't know, a third of the people raised their hand. And so I guess this is some communist school or some socialist. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's like some organizing or some training school. And she's like, okay, cool. This is uh this is Anthony from the future coming again from editing again. Uh it's not again yet because the first edit's at the end of the podcast and you haven't heard it yet. But here I am. I now learned what the Highlander School is and I should have known. So this is the organization that Ashley Wood Henderson is uh an executive of. What's her official title? Um she's a co-executive director. And this is the place that was bombed by a white supremacist in 2019. Um, so that's what she's talking about. This is a radical school that is a, that has been representing, you know, Appalachian struggles uh, and radical education and cultural work uh, for years. And um, that's what she was referring to. So I'm going to link in, in the doobly-doo uh, a really good article from The Nation about that attack um, if you want to do further reading. Uh, and then she was kind of like, at, like, who here's from, you know, where in the South, essentially, like, who's here from Appalachia? And there was like, people on the front left were like from there. And that's where she's from. She's from Tennessee, Chattanooga. Um, and she is an activist who apparently her, her office for her organization, I, I don't have the, I didn't write down the name of her organization. But her office was, uh, was bombed by a, a white supremacist. Uh, by, by, by a white supremacist or something, uh, recent, you know, relatively recently, I don't know how long ago, a year or two ago. So she was talking about how she was traumatized from that, uh, of course. Um, and so, you know, essentially that the Highlander school asks like three questions. She's like, if you know, if you're familiar with this, then this is kind of what we do at every meeting. This is kind of like what, how we approach stuff is like, ask through these three, these three questions, what's the problem? Um, what do you want? And then what's your faithful next step? Um, and so I think that's kind of a really good way towards problem solving and, and just on a, like a personal level, but obviously like as socialists, which, which that was, a, you know, th this is a good way to start when you're talking about anything or when you're having a conversation with somebody about a political issue or an economic issue, like start, what, what do you rec what do you recognize as the problem? And then what do you want 
what do you want out of it? Like, what's your, what's your solution? And then how are you going to achieve that solution? What's your next step? And so that, you know, I was like, yeah, that, that, that's, that's awesome. And then, so then on this the whole socialist thing, she did, she, she kind of asked the room, you know, who here identifies as a socialist? Um, and like 80% of the room put their hands up or something. And she was like, okay, okay. She's like, who identifies here as a communist? And like, I don't know, half the hands went down, maybe a little more. Uh, and she's like, who identifies as an anarchist? And then, I don't know, there's like six hands up or something. It was like not very many people, but there was a few. And then she was like, who identified, who doesn't know yet? Who's still figuring it out? And there's like three or four hands up. She was like, I totally understand that, you know, respect. And uh, she's like, pretty much what I say is like, I'm a socialist until capitalism's gone. And then after capitalism, I'm a comp, you know, after that's happened, then, then I'm a communist. And, and then she kind of said, I don't know, you'll hear it on the, on the thing. And, um, I was just like, yeah, like, this is great. And she kind of just criticized, you know, not overtly criticized the conference, but just kind of criticized like how wonky and unapproachable some of these talks were and how like, looks, you're not everyone who's coming to this conference is an academic, you know, it was a lot of, it was a lot of young people. It was a lot of old people too. Um, but it was like, not everyone's going to be super familiar with XYZ Marxist theory or have read, you know, XYZ Marxist document or whatever. Like, that's just not going to be the case. And so, like, there is this sort of, and I think this is just human beings in general, this kind of idea where, like, I want to appear smart or I want to appear, you know, like, I have the solutions or I know everything or I know the most stuff. And she's like, in leftist circles, like, this, you, a lot of times it's just people trying to compete to be the smartest person in the room. And she's like, I'm not about that. Like, that and we need to like not be doing that essentially that's not 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 a healthy way to be interacting interacting with each other um and she kind of said something something that was echoed in one of the other talks she said i'm just going to kind of read from my notes now at this point um she says she believes in faith and spirit she goes on you know i'm a religious person she's like i'm black and so like you know some people might not like you know she's what she say religion is the opiate of the masses or it may be the opiate of the masses masses but she's like but if you're a black person from the south She's like, faith is salvation or faith, faith is freedom or something like that. I don't remember exactly how she worded it. Uh, and so like, you know, respect again, I, 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 this is me, you know, I, I love that. And this is me last episode. I was talking about, you know, or on that fascism episode, like I'm not religious, I'm atheist and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to talk about Christian nationalism. Right. But like, I totally agree with this. And this is something that Mar Michael Brooks was saying, like right before he died a couple of years ago essentially that we need to be more spiritual on the left and we need to be more understanding of faith because like you have you have to have faith going back to that hope quote earlier right like hope is real radicalism uh getting people to have hope rather than despair like you have to have faith that the future is going to be better right like otherwise what are we doing here otherwise what's the point uh, so we can't be nihilistic. Like you have to, and so like, that's, to me, that's not a religious, but maybe you can look at that as religious. I don't know if you're talking about for the good of humanity or the good of people, but like, that is a form of faith, right? Like whether or not it's an afterlife or whether or not it's a supreme being, like that's different. Sure. But like, we got to believe in ourselves, right? Like we got to believe that we as a species or as a race or whatever, that humans can, can be better, right. Can, can do something. And so faith is important. So I, I thought that was awesome. Like I heard, uh, I, I, there was a lot of Michael Brooks and what I heard from her, which I think just touched me and resonated me because he just holds a special place in my heart. Uh, I doubt that was intentional, but to me it was kind of like, okay, this person's on the right track because he was on the right track before he passed away. Um, 
And she's like, spirit is not necessarily religion. And so to me, and, you know, I agree to me, we, we are the spirit, right? Humans, you, you were the spirit and I love you. Um, and you know, she kind of said, capitalism is always predatory, always in crisis. And it also adapts. True. Um, uh, she said, what I want us to do, what's, uh, you know, so that's the problem, I guess. Capitalism is always predatory and it's always in crisis. So she, what do you want? She's saying, I want socialism to actually articulate a strategy, a transition, like actually have something to do rather than just complaining about problems or pointing out problems and, and then coming up with all these academic terms and ways to dissect all the problems and explain all the problems. Like, what are we going to do about it, bro? Um, and then she's, uh, how do we keep people safe? That was an, how, how do we keep people safe in this transition? Right? Because again, revolution is crazy. That's when marginalized people are affected the most is when things get crazy. When, when things fall apart, that's when, you know, the, the, the lower class, the, the, the proletariat, right? Those, everybody else, right? The bottom of the bottom, that's the people who are most vulnerable. That's when they get hurt the most. And so like, that's really the last thing you want, right? Like if you really care about humanity, if you really care about, you know, people, uh, you don't want trans people or homeless people or people of color to be affected, you know, aversely and then larger numbers when things, you know, hit the fan. Right. Uh, and so I thought that was a really good point. Um, and so her argument, another, she said abolition is necessary. So we got to abolish the prisons and that should be a goal. Uh, we, you know, and then she, she didn't even define abolition. There's different things. I think personally, and this is me, I know this is a radical idea. I think we should get rid of borders too. I don't mean that like the lines need to not exist. I think we should just stop policing them and stop worrying about people. I think freedom of movement is a right. And if you look at the universal declaration of human rights that was put together with the help of Eleanor Roosevelt after world war II, one of those universal human rights is freedom of movement. And so, like, people should just be able to go where they need to go. Um, but anyways, that's a whole other separate thing. So she said that. I'm like, yeah. Uh, and then she said slavery was in the South. Blacks are in the South. Change will come from the, uh, in the South if it comes. She's like, if change is going to come, it's going to come from the people. Where are the most of the people? We're talking about, quote, unquote, the people, the marginalized people. It's the South. That's where all the poor people are, right? We're poor guys. Like, I don't know about you. Hope, hopefully you're not more power to you, but like, I've been poor most of my life. Like, uh, and I have the privilege of family, of family that loves me and has been able to help me and support me and get me to where I am. And that's a, that's a privilege, but like this, you know, the, the South is more impacted, you know, uh, in, in all these different places. And we even talk, kind of talked about that, like environmentally too, talked about all the hurricanes that hits all the Southern states talk about Mississippi, the Jackson water. If you haven't heard Jackson, Mississippi is water. It's essentially another Flint, Michigan all over again. Uh, they can't drink water. They can't, it, it's toxic. Um, that's going to be happening more and more, you know, as time goes on, uh, you have the infrastructure failure and floods and mudslides in places like West Virginia and places like Kentucky. And so like, the South struggles, right? And and so she kind of she talks about this. She's just like it's going to be where the struggling happens, is where the change is going to happen, is where the where the if there's going to be an uprising, is where that's going to happen. Um, just see. Oh, now I'm just scribbling and and I'm not writing out all the words. Uh, okay, I'm gonna skip that. Southerners live in. Oh, I thought this was interesting. Southerners live in the past, present, and the future. And then she was like, I'm also talking about 
when I say Southerners, she's like, I'm not talking about just the Southern United States, like the Southern States. She's like, I'm talking about the global South. And if you're not familiar with the term global South, it's essentially not just like the South of the equator, but like all the, you know, brown places in the world, essentially. <laughs> like, yes, it's South of the equator, but also places that have been essentially, you know, colonized uh, or, or imperialized where you have the imperial powers, which have been predominantly European, right? But you have your Asian imperial powers as well. Um, and then you have the, what was used to be called the periphery, you know, you have the center, which is where all the stuff's happening and where the system capitalism is, is being pushed outward. And then you have the periphery, uh, the global South, um, where people are being exploited to uphold that system. You know, uh, and that's that's who she's actually talking. She's like, y'all didn't know y'all were coming to this talk to talk about the global south, but that's what, actually what we're talking about. It's all one and the same, and how like the south, the southern United States is kind of an extension of this global south, a la you know because of the slavery that existed here and because of the historical ripples in time that still exist from that slavery. Uh, right, we're still dealing with that. That was not that long ago. I like to frame things and like how many people ago was it, not how many generations. Like the Civil War was only like one point six people ago. Right, like if we if we just round it off to a hundred years, because some people live to a hundred, um, that like that wasn't that long ago. We're still struggling with these things, obviously, right? And I know y'all know this. Um, she kind of talks about South Africa, and that's an example of when you control the government but you don't control the economy, and how she's been to Johannesburg, and it's like one of the most poorest places she's ever been, and they thought they were doing great, and she's like, look, it's just like we have stores and stuff, just like New York, and she's like, I'm like. Uh, didn't even you know i'm sorry like they, that's not even sucks that that's what you're wanting it to be and like that's definitely not what it is um and and so like you know it's to to, to people saying that like you know we we shouldn't be worrying about the economy or that shouldn't be the goal it's like well no you're ignorant because like if you don't control the economy then how are you going to take care of the people like it's all all that is economics um capital has overdeveloped it, the selfish instincts of us all but has shrunken and underdeveloped our compassion and oh, I, did, I don't think I wrote this quote right. I don't know who she said said this quote. She says it if you listen to it in the thing, but that capitalism essentially has overdeveloped our selfish instincts um, on everybody, but has shrunken and underdeveloped our uh, compassion. And then I wrote atrophy. I don't think I wrote the right word. Uh, then she says the South is selfish. And that people say that the South is selfish. Uh, and she's, she's like, we're not selfish. Uh, we just don't have the resources that we need. And we never have had the resources that we need. Uh, you know, if you just want to look at the school system in any of the Southern states, Texas here included, of course, we all know, right? Don't have the resources that we need. So like, if we had the resources that we need, she says we would be dangerous if we had the resources that we need. Uh, and that's again why we, we're starved for these things because because again she said change would happen in the south. This talk was so good. I'm just reading over my notes. It's just making me ah, I love this. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and then so she uh, create more vacuums. Some when we create vacuums, someone fills it. It's not benign. And she says socialism leads to vacuums. And so this is why we need a plan because a lot of times we create vacuums, but then. Don't control who fills it, right? It's coming back to what I was saying earlier. Um, and so then it, it doesn't work out for us. And she said fascism is inevitable and that socialism is not neutral. We need a strategy and not debate. And I was like, fascism is inevitable. Like, what did she mean by that? 
Uh, and she didn't really explain it. But after I thought about it, I was like, okay, so if you, I guess in a capitalist system, um, if you have this trends toward monopolization, if you have this trend towards centralization and authoritarianism, um, then yeah, then if you don't have a pushing counterbalance, if you don't have leftists, if you don't have socialists, um, then yeah, I can see that how that would actually be the end result. And I guess that's why in, you know, if you look at fascist Germany, for instance, that's why they got rid of all, all any, any leftist organization, right? They were just completely gotten rid of, right? Um, okay. And then here's all the stuff I highlighted. I'll, I'll kind of wrap it up here, getting past that hour mark. Um, she says the left treats the South. <laughs> I thought this was really funny. She says the left and she kind of, she goes on and on about like, is there a left? Is there many lefts? Is there not a left? Like what, you know, multiple things are true. She says the left treats the South as if the girl, as the girlfriend that they never asked out. I was like, what? And so she, then she asked like someone from the audience to like, Hey, be, uh, can you be my girlfriend? She's like, I, so what's your name? And the audience member said their name. She's like, nice to meet you. Will you be my girlfriend? Uh, and she was like, yeah. And she's like, okay, cool. See, like I just asked her out, but now what if I, I don't know anything about her. Like I just got her first name. I don't even know her last name. She's like, what's your last name? And she says it, she's like, okay, great. She's like, but I don't know you. Like, I don't know your mom's name. I don't know like what you've been through or what you've done, but now we're dating and baby, I will do anything for you. I will die for you. I will struggle for you and overthrow governments for you. I love you so much. And she's like, but from her perspective, she might not want me to go do all those things for her, <laughs> right? I don't know her. I don't know what she's been through. She might have a different perspective about this stuff. And she says, this is what essentially the coastal elites, right, that we hear conservatives complain about. This is a real thing, right? The people on the coasts, the bougies, uh, look at us in the South and they think they know what's good for us. And they think they know how to, how to tell us what to do. And there was some of this at that conference where like, what people were saying and kind of describing as solutions to things. It's like, that's not going to work down here, bro. Like that might work in Portland or something like that's, that's not going to work over here. Um, but they, they, they never asked us what we, what we wanted, right. They never asked us what we thought or what, again, what, what do you need? Right. Going back to the, 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 the questions, right? Like, what do you want? What do you need? Um, and I thought that was just a really, really good point. That's so true. If you're listening to this, I imagine you're likely a Southerner, right? Like, do you feel that way? Like, uh, you know, I imagine so. I don't know. Maybe not. Accountability. She said this beautiful quote, accountability without grace is punishment. And grace without accountability is complacency. And so she's saying essentially we need to be accountable, but we need to also be graceful and be forgiving on the left as socialists with each other. Uh, when people, you know, when we're wrong or when people are wrong, we need to call it out, but we also need to own up to it. Um, but we also need to be forgiving. Uh, and we have to be both of those things. And if you're just doing one, if you're just calling people out and being accountable, but you're not being forgiving, you're just punishing people. Uh, and if you're being forgiving, but you're not actually holding people to their words, then you're just being complacent and you're not actually changing things. And so I think that's a good point, again, on the topic of like infighting. Uh, last few things that I thought were really important and highlighted in my thing. Uh, she brought up the point, the topic of mutual aid and how lately a lot of the media types, billionaires, donors, I guess we can say, are calling charity mutual aid. They're using the term mutual aid, essentially. 
But she's like, charity is not mutual aid. Like, I want to draw a distinction. There's a very clear line between like someone just giving money and going, here you go. Uh, that's not what mutual aid actually is. Real mutual aid, she says, is state destruction. It's intervening to where you don't need a government. You don't need a system providing you something because people are already being provided for on the ground level. And again, this comes from like asking, what do you actually need? And she said it's inherently disruptive. Like mutual aid is disruptive in its existence, like because of what it's doing, because it's disrupting what the state is supposed to be doing and the state is failing at doing, right? So it's like drawing attention to the state failures. And she says it saved lives during the pandemic. Like the mutual aid organizations were saving people's lives. And then like she, and I was so glad as a Texan, she, you know, she saw us here during the, you know, she mentioned the, the winter storm and mentioned how people were dying there and how it was mutual aid. And this is hundred percent true. And if you guys who have ever heard of funky town fridge, like they definitely were saving people's lives during that week long freeze that we had, uh, getting people food. Right. And that's just one example of mutual aid, but getting people food, getting people medical aid or, or any, any of that type of stuff, getting them the things that they need, you know, emergency housing, whatever that that's real mutual aid, not just billionaires coming in and, and donating money to X, Y, or Z. That's not mutual aid. That's charity. Um, and so I think that's an important, you know, important thing to kind of remember. And then she was just kind of deriding, you know, socialists kind of, kind of, again, kind of being, you know, a lot of people at the conference just kind of describing problems, talking about problems because she goes, but do you want to win? Do you want to win socialists? Are you scared of power? Do you even want to govern? Because it, some people kind of come off like they don't even want to deal with any of that stuff or they want to knock it all down. And that's not like you need to wield power if you're going to change things like that's part of it bro you have to do that um and then she kind of talked about what what she calls the uh the fuck religion mentality and says that's you know that's that's a harmful mentality this kind of like i was saying earlier you know how faith is important doesn't have to be religious faith but as a leftist, you don't want to be a militant atheist and like alienate people that you're appealing to. Again, if you're on the left, like it's a, it has to be a broad coalition. It has to be everybody. You're representing the people you're representing everybody. And so like, if you're like, except you, because you have weird religious beliefs or whatever, like, no, that's not, you can't be doing that. And so you, you know, respect everybody's different beliefs. You can have your own. Right. But like, but don't be uh, just saying like, oh, we don't want to be a, religious or we don't want to organize with religious like actually this is why the right is so well organized is because they have so many churches <laughs> and that is a great place to organize because it's people seeing each other every week and talking about things and getting together and having a shared participatory experience uh and like that's something that, that us, us atheists kind of struggle with is like we have to find those in other ways and other places right uh because we because we don't go to church but like that's there are christians who are socialists. And actually, if you know, are a quote unquote real Christian, in my opinion, like the people that I know that are actually good people and that are actually Christians, like their beliefs align very much with socialism because it actually is about caring about people and turning the other cheek and, and, you know, loving humanity. Like that's kind of Christian, right? Like some of it, right? So come on, like, I don't know. And then she said to white people, uh, I thought this was really good. She says to white people, don't hate your people. Um, white people in the absence of your love hate everything. And so like she was asking about talking essentially about like incels uh, and talking about Christian, you know, extremism or, you know, right wing extremism rather. And the uprising of that and like why these people, she asked the audience, like, why are these people doing this like what do they what do they need what are they what are they craving or striving for 
And this one, I was thinking, I didn't raise my hand. This one audience member raised his hand. She's like, what is it? And he was like, um, belonging. Like they just want to belong. They just want to be a part of something, right? And so these, these for whatever reason, uh, white dudes are, are feeling, you know, marginalized or not a part of something bigger. So they're being drawn to this extremism stuff. And she's like, look, like other white people, like don't drive those people away with your hate. Like don't hate them. Uh, and she's like, and that's y'all's problem because she's, she's black. She might, she might be bi biracial. I have no idea. But like she's a person of color. Uh, so she's like, I can't, that's y'all's problem. Like, I can't do that. That's not my place <laughs> to like, but I, but y'all should be work. Y'all should be doing something about that. <laughs> and I was like a half white person is like, yeah, like, yeah, I get it. You should. Um, but as a half not white person, it's like, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, and then I guess, yeah, that's pretty much it. There's more I could say, but I'm just going to wrap it up there. So real quick, Cause this is a Fort Worth podcast, right guys? And like, I haven't mentioned Fort Worth yet. I apologize for that, but this is a, this was a, a cool experience for me and Amber. It was kind of a big part, I guess, of our, our political education or whatever along this journey, right? We're always learning more things. We're always changing our perspectives, right? Uh, so this was good. I want to bring that to the table and share that with you guys. Again, there's going to be a bonus episode after this one. Uh, that is that talk that I was just describing uh, with Ashley Woodard Henderson. I'm going to try and uh, edit down some of these other talks as well. Um, but in regards to here in Texas and what we've got going on here, actually there's lo local news. I actually didn't see very much that I felt that was, this is, uh, this is Anthony from the future, uh, doing some editing. And I just, I wanted to make clear there are things happening locally. And I had an entire episode prepared before we were unable to, to, get one taken care of before we went to the conference and there were several stories that i planned on cover that i unfortunately didn't get to and now it's kind of been too long uh but i am going to provide the links for those to to encourage you to go check out the stories about grapevine high school students walking out uh to protest the district's policies uh the monkeypox case that was confirmed at keller isd high school the uh fort worth isd expecting to spend two million dollars um, or I'm sorry, expecting to send $2 million back to the state because of not meeting certain requirements. The state is taking money from ISD, some from Fort Worth ISD specifically. So there's that. Uh, we had the historic rains that were more recent that I was talking about this. And there's a, a great Fort Worth report story covering the uh, flooding invention, like what our essentially what our capabilities are and are not. And then I wanted to talk about the uh, Amplify 817 showcase that had taken place. Um, and so I encourage you to go check out all those. The links will be provided below in the show notes. Thank you. I mean, there's stuff happening. I, I recommend, again, checking out the Fort Worth report. If you just, like, don't ever keep up with local news, period. Like, they've always got good stuff. Um, however, in regards to the Texas race, right, coming up in November, uh, we have, there is news now that two Republicans are now backing uh, Mike Collier for lieutenant governor against Dan Patrick, uh, which is good. Now we're actually, again, that's talk, talking about that Republican Party split. Uh, we're seeing that actually happen here in Texas. And so, again, the money's being split. Some people are backing Republicans, which is kind of unheard of in the state. So that's good. Does that help Beto? Uh, I don't know. Beto, it's still on the fence. So, again, if you're like, if you're debating on whether or not you should volunteer your time or whether or not you should, you should, you know, 
help out with some organization like Beto right now in the next, you know, we're less than two months away from the election. Uh, right now, canvassing, block walking, phone banking, uh, all of that is going to be kind of crucial between now and then. So if you've been wondering, like, should I do this? I don't know if I want to do this or not. Like, you should totally do it right now because it, it, it could make or break this election with our governor. It really is like it's still an uphill for battle battle for Beto. It's certainly not guaranteed. Um, but the only way he's going to win if like everybody comes out and helps and pushes, because again, this is Texas, right? And even though Abbott's not popular, he's still the the front runner in this race. So uh, I encourage you to please, uh, get, if, if they've been texting you, which I'm sure they have, like respond to that next text and like, yeah, come out to a meeting or just download the app that they that have you download and just start doing, you know, some phone calls uh, from your own home. You don't have to go anywhere. So yeah. Highly recommend you do that. Uh, we'll come back here in a couple of weeks. Ideally, Thomas will be with me, and uh, we'll have information and that spreadsheet that we make uh, of the candidates of who to vote for so you can have time between now and when early voting starts to do your research uh, on who you want to vote for. So again, hit us up if you need anything, if you have any questions, if you have stories you'd like us to cover or any other recommendations like that. Uh, hit us up at Fort Worth at Oh, man. All, all the thingies. You, you know what they are. They're down below and they're, they're in blue. You can click on the link. Thank you so much for joining us and, and have a great day.